Get your scripture up, go to Isaiah chapter 9. It's a very familiar Christmas text as we launch today this uh, concept about Christ before Christmas, the thrill of hope, the anticipation of the Messiah, the soon coming King, all the people that heard this prophecy from Isaiah and what it meant to them. Isaiah chapter 9, let's open up with an amazing Christmas text. Here we go. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged, you being God, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when they divide the plunder. For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke of the burdens upon them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning with be fuel for the fire. Does that sound pretty Christmassy to you? Is, is, I mean, have you heard that even before at a Christmas service? Well, maybe you've heard the next part. Here we go, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it forevermore, upholding it by justice and righteousness, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will perform all these things. Think about that latter part there. We always hear the latter part of Isaiah chapter 9. But what I want you to know today is the latter part means nothing unless you understand the former part. Jesus was the promised Messiah. A new light has dawned, a light coming into the world. But you only need light if there is darkness. You only need a savior if there's someone lost. You only want a deliverer if you're bound. And Jesus Christ is our savior. He is our light and he is our deliverer today. And all these things matter to us. But if we don't understand the context in which he came and the world today, we won't see the need for the new light this dawn upon Israel's life. As we put ourselves in this story, as, as, as we lean into Isaiah chapter 9 today, and we, as we learn from the life of Israel, we apply it to us today. Did you see it back in verse 2? The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Before Isaiah ever promised the Messiah, ever prophesied the Messiah, he talked about the present darkness. He talked about the present difficulty upon the earth in that time and space. Here's the first note for your notes today. Jesus is the light of the world that came to the world to relieve the world of darkness. Jesus did not just come because God was bored in heaven. Jesus came to bring light into a dark world. Now, having said that, if the darkness was so dark, it required his arrival. That means only he can solve the darkness. I can't fix it. You can't fix it. More money can't fix it. More government can't fix it. More of this can't fix it. Only Jesus can fix the darkness on the earth. And that's why Jesus came as a new light dawning in the life of Israel and our life today. Here's a couple questions for you real fast to kick off our time together. First of all, is the world dark? Secondly, real fast, how is 
the world dark? How is it dark? If, if we say it is dark, well, then how is it dark? And then the third quick question, just, just how dark is it? is it? Is it really dark? Is it like the dimmer in your room where you can kind of get the lights about midway? Is, it, is, is, is the world pitch black? Is it, is it kind of a dusty dark? Is it kind of a gloomy dark? How dark is the world today? And I would even throw out a fourth question. Have we become comfortable living our life in the dark? Now remember this, Jesus came to bring new light into a dark world. Now, Bible days, Bible times, Bible context, the word darkness refers, of course, to both evil and to ignorance. Darkness is evil. The world today is dark because the world today is filled with evil. And again, I know you're thinking, man, Marty... (laughs) I was looking forward to a warm and fuzzy Christmas service. I I wish I could be the fuzzy guy. Because everybody likes the fuzzy guy, right? The the warm feels guy. But I want to be the truthful guy with you today. I I just want to paint the picture for you. Because if you get the picture, then the light has so much more meaning to you. you It's like the person who eats every few minutes versus a guy who hasn't eaten in months. We take a whole different point of view toward food. If we realize how dark the world is, we'll be even more grateful for the light of Christ. How dark is this place? The world's dark because the world's filled filled with evil and suffering. Look at the time of Isaiah's writing. Look at our world today. Look at Jesus' time. Violence, injustice, abuse of power, homelessness, refugees, fleeing oppression, government oppression, religious persecution, and so much more. It was happening in Isaiah's time. It was happening in Jesus' time. And it's happening even today in our time. Don't disconnect today, 2020, from the scripture too far. Don't believe that because this is a modern society, an industrialized society, a technical society, don't believe that we cannot still learn from people who walked in sandals. Don't miss what's happening in the scripture. The world today is dark because it's filled with spiritual ignorance and I would even say indifference. We love Isaiah chapter 9 because it has this beautiful story that we even see in Handel's Messiah. For unto us a child is born. What an amazing, what an amazing moment. But don't miss the fact that the born child came to be light to a dark world. He didn't just drop out of heaven for no purpose at all. He came for a reason, not just to give us a season. To really get Isaiah chapter 9, you have to go back to Isaiah chapter 8. Don't turn, just listen. In the previous chapter, we see all the difficulty taking place in the life of Israel. We see the bigger picture. And then we see them turning toward medians and witches and all kinds of other foreign magic to pick their plights in life. Not their God, but themselves. And we see Isaiah chapter 8 end by saying that they were distressed and they were hungry, wandering through the land. People who don't have a clear point of view of the light will always wander in darkness. And they thought they could fix themselves. The same is true for us today. We are convinced that we can cure our darkness that we ourselves have created. Our sin has created this darkness and we think we can fix it. Some look to government, some look to the market, some look to technology and science. Things are dark, we would all agree, but we tend to believe we can make them better just by us 
being a better version of who we think we should be by better self-actualization, by really being true to ourselves. We think we can fix things. Hear me today. This darkness cannot be fixed by any form of a human effort. This darkness only is solved by the light of Jesus Christ. He is a new light that has dawned upon mankind, and only he can cure the darkness. Nobody else can do it. We listen to world leaders talk about peace and unity. We listen to the person come to the podium and say, I can unify us. We participate every year in the struggle for human power. Yet year after year, we've killed more people, lost more innocents, spent more money, wasted more time. And for every step forward in technology and science, we take several leaps backwards in our morals and our integrity, and we're living in rampant spiritual decay. You know why? Because we think we can fix the darkness. Why would Isaiah tell us to kick off the conversation about the king coming, the new light dawning? Why would he introduce that if it wasn't a deep spiritual darkness? Now, you might want to argue, Marty, the world's not that dark. We're living just fine. You know, we're a little bit uh, encumbered by the whole virus and by the mask, but this is not a dark, dark world. Listen to me. If you think 2020 is just a physical fight, then you have got your head deep in the sand somewhere. 2020. 20 has been a year of spiritual, supernatural warfare. We don't like talking about it because it's uncomfortable. And, and oh, by the way, how do you combat spiritual warfare? You get on Facebook and rant. <laughs> Demons flee at the sound of opening up your Facebook account. Demons tremble when you say, I'm going to dislike something. No, you, you, you accomplish victory in the spirit realm by fasting, by praying, by worshiping, by getting in the word, by repenting, by living a different life. That's how you overcome spiritual warfare. By pulling down strongholds, by speaking against the untruth, by clarifying what is dark and what is light. Isaiah said a new light is dawning. And they loved these words because they'd walked so long in the darkness. See, Isaiah came to us in this text and spoke to Israel and Judah at a very specific time in their history. He prophesied to them at a point in which they had received tremendous prosperity and power. Israel ruled by Jeroboam and other kings. They had significantly rose to the ranks in life, but they began to engage pagan worship, adulterous worship, idolatrous worship. And then Judah under Uzziah and Jotham and Hezekiah, they had also felt tremendous success, but they too had fallen away from the internal worship to a very external orthodoxy. They were doing all the right stuff on the outside, but on the inside, they were deeply dark. Does that sound at all like some things in our life today? Does this kind of come back around? You know, they always say that history does what it was. It repeats itself. If you ever study the history of the children of Israel, you will find the cyclical nature of humanity, and you will also find the never-ending grace and faithfulness of the Almighty God. I thank God today that even when we are faithless, he is faithful. Can I get an amen across this place today? And that's what we find in this text. And Isaiah speaks about this prophetic arrival of 
this Messiah. So why did he write this? Three quick things. First of all, he wrote this to the Israelites, to to Judah and to Israel. He wrote this to say that God is displeased with your sin. Stop sinning. What was the the workout person years ago used the phrase, stop the insanity or stop the madness? There was a workout person. Anybody who that was, there was like a stop the insanity. So here's the deal. Isaiah looks at them and goes, guys, stop sinning. Look at your neighbor and say, stop sinning. Now, I know you're thinking, Marty, we're in the church. We don't sin. Look back and say, stop, you're lying. Isaiah says, stop sinning. Number two, Isaiah talked about this. He says, turn God's people away from disobedience. He wrote to simply say, stop disobeying God. Let me just throw this out there. You'll hear me say this a lot. You're just going to have to decide at some point in time in your life if this is the Bible or not. And if it's not, I would suggest you go home right now and never darken a church the rest of your life because you're wasting your time. But if this is the inspired, infallible, inerrant, word of the eternal God, and I believe that it is, then you need to live by every point in this text. Why is it we think we can read the Bible and then have an opinion? I quoted this to you months ago. I've quoted it for years. I read this in a book by the late Dr. Miles Monroe. He's a great orator on the kingdom of God. And he said this. He said, when the king has spoken, I have no further opinion. You know what this book right here is? This is the book where opinions stop. This is the book where my perspective ends. This is the book where what I thought ceases to exist, and now it's what has God said. And I know that for us today in 2020 America, that's very difficult to process because we believe that our opinion by itself is an authority. And let me just tell you, you have met the final authority right here. This is it. Third purpose of his writing was to lay a foundation for the faithful remnant, those who had been faithful to God to give them hope, to give them a promise that God had not forgotten his people. Let me tell you today, the world is dark. That is true. Jesus is still the light of the world. That is also true. But here's what you have to know. Where you have been faithful, God has not forgotten you. God knows you. He knows what you've done. God is for you. God's not against you. And God sees your faithfulness. Don't be discouraged. God will return to you whatever you sow because he will not be a mocked God. Whatever man sows, that he shall also reap. You sow faithfulness, guess what you get back? You're going to reap faithfulness. I talked to a guy this week, and we're going to share a story with you later on. A guy sent me a text this week, an amazing story. During a season of joblessness, he paid off his house. And you know what he attributes it to? Tithing. I'm just saying. God's either faithful or he's not. 
How many thank God that we serve a faithful God? We do. Isaiah wrote these words, stop sinning, stop disobeying. And listen, if you've been faithful to God, don't worry. God has not forgotten you. Let's scroll over to the New Testament. Let's go to Matthew chapter 2. I want to give you a different take. So here we have Isaiah chapter 9, and they're all pumped. Hey, a light's coming. No more battles, no more difficulty. Now let's go to Matthew chapter 2. It's a lengthy text, but you've got to read all this because, of course, it's part of the Christmas story. A little more fuzzy, but also some stuff to talk about in here. Verse 1, here we go. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. When Herod the king, watch this, they said, where is the king of the Jews born? When Herod the king, you can only have how many kings? When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them, saying, where the Christ was to be born? So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it's written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler. Wait, oh my goodness, now we have a ruler. The king doesn't like this, does he? No way. Who will shepherd my people Israel? Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, he determined from them where the star had first appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him too. And when they heard the king and they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over the young child where he was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they come into the house, they saw the young child with his mother Mary. And they fell down and they worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed their own country another way. Now when they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the child, the young child, and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring word to you. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Two different points of view. One group, a new light's dawn. A new day's coming. The Messiah. Yes, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and the prince of peace, another man. Tell me where this king is so that I can go and worship him. In turn, I was going to go and kill him. You know why? You can only have one king. You can only have one ruler. See, Jesus gives the perspective here in his arrival that not everyone wants a Messiah. Not everyone wants a light. Not everyone wants a new king. He was the promised king, the promised savior, the promised deliverer. But why would you need a deliverer unless you're bound? Why would you want a savior unless you're lost? Why would you want a king if you still plan to be in charge of everything in your own life and do your life your way and not the king's way? So you're starting to unfold from this this bigger picture that not everyone was excited that Jesus was arriving on the earth. 
Not everybody was happy about this baby being born. Not everybody was looking forward to this because for some people, they liked life just the way it was. See, Jesus was prophesied. He was the what I call the Christ before Christmas. He was prophesied hundreds of years before his birth. Jesus was also problematic because he infringed on somebody else's time and space. I'll, I'll be the first to tell you, if you give your heart to Jesus Christ, that means he's now in charge. And, and part of how we've missed the gospel in the church, in the world today, is we have looked at salvation as an addition to life, and that's not how this works. Salvation is really a grand elimination of everything else in life. You, you, you can't have Jesus at the halfway point in life. He is everything or he's nothing because that's the place only a king can be. Jesus was prophesied. He was problematic, but he was also the solution to the sin problem. He was the light to a dark world. Here's just a question for you. Do we like darkness? Look at John chapter 3. Go real fast. John chapter 3, verse 16. You've heard this text before, and you've probably seen it at a football game. Not this year. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes him shall not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17, listen close. For God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Verse 18, whoever believes him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's only one and only son. Verse 19, this is the verdict. This is the verdict. Now, again, we all love John 3.16. Man, what a beautiful text. It's almost like a baby in a manger. But if we don't get to verse 19 and 20 and 21, then verse 16 has little meaning to us. Here's what verse 19 says. It says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Did you see it right there? People loved darkness. I don't know about you, but would you look at our world today, in our homes today, in our lives today, and, and even wonder for a brief moment if we still don't love the darkness? If we still don't embrace the idea that darkness is kind of okay because from time to time we turn on the light, the light switch, we read a verse a day from the Uversion app or we go to church a weekend here or there and then the rest of the time we live back in a very dark world. It says here that people love darkness more than light because their deeds are evil. Verse 20, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for the fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes in this light so it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of the Almighty God. Think about the present darkness today. Let me just bring it around to you from a, from a very practical example. Um, I can find my way in my house in the dark. Anybody else able to do such a task? As long as my wife has not rearranged the furniture, which does happen, 
I can find things pretty simple and dark. I sort of know. In fact, I'm so good in my bedroom, I can find my way in the dark to even put my socks on and never turn the light on because you never turn a light on while she's sleeping, husbands. Ladies, I need an amen right there. Now, they may not match once I get to the office, but I will at least have two socks on. I've got those socks, those workout socks, the athletic socks. They have the right and left on the toe. Why did they do that? I mean, I'm always two rights and two lefts. It's like, where, how can I not get these things together on the same day? I can find my way around because I've learned to adjust for the stuff in the dark. Let me give you a couple areas that if you don't believe the Bible, you'll push back at what I'm about to say to you. So please, I'm going to give you a pass out. I'm going to give you an exit right now. If you don't believe in God's word, then what I'm going to say to you right now will not sit well with you. But if you believe in the Bible, you're going to understand where I'm coming from. First of all, do you realize this? I'm 47. I was born in 1973. That was the year of what major topic in America? Roe versus Wade. Since 1973, and you may have better data than I do, we have put to death over 60 million babies in this country alone. And no one's talking about it. You know why? Because we're used to walking around in the dark. It's just the way things are. And again, if you don't believe the Bible, if you're not a believer in Christ, I totally understand why you disagree with my thoughts today. But if you believe the Bible and you believe in the word of God, then you understand the Bible is clear on shedding innocent blood. You know the Bible is clear on the sanctity and dignity of life. You know that's in the Bible. So how you can support that is way beyond me. That simply means you love darkness more than light. And we've turned this to a political issue. Folks, it's not. It's a spiritual issue. And the church needs to stand what the Bible says. What about the topic of marriage? The Bible is crystal clear on marriage. And again, if you disbelieve God's word, then I understand you may disagree with me totally. That's fine. I'm not here to convince you of my beliefs. This is what the Bible says. Marriage is clear. The marriage is defined by God as between be, being between a man and a woman in a covenant relationship for life. That's the biblical model. Now, again, if you reject the Bible, fully understand your disagreement. That's fine by me. But you can't believe the Bible and disbelieve God's defining of marriage. But no one's talking about it anymore. We've kind of just pushed it aside because we've used we become used to walking in the darkness, and we know that that chair is just kind of there. And we don't want to talk about it because today's culture, you might offend somebody. Remember this, Jesus did not come to soothe your senses. He came to bring light to darkness. He didn't come to make you feel good about your sin. He came to get rid of the sin out of your life. What about gender? The Bible says clearly that God made them male and female. There's not a third option in there. Study out the sciences. The science is clearly there that if you're born a male, you have male DNA. If you are born a female, you have female DNA. And we're supposed to follow the science, right? 
but we don't talk about it anymore. You know why? Because we're used to walking in the darkness. I have a prayer that the church of Jesus Christ will stand up and rise up and declare light in the darkness today. Not hateful, not prideful, but clearly say what God's word has said. I preached last night and a guy walked out. He goes, you're not very PC, are you? I said, no, I'm trying to be BC. Biblically correct. Biblically correct. Because I'm more concerned about my king than I am my government. Again, if you disagree because you don't believe God's word, that's fine. But you can't read the word of God and then turn your face the other way on these clearly defined issues in the scripture. See, we've come comfortable with the darkness around us. So here's a question for you. Do we want to give up control of our life? Because if you don't, then don't invite the king into your life. Because if you bring the king in, then he's in charge. Look at this in Matthew chapter 16. It says, if you want to save your life, you'll destroy it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. What will you gain if you own the whole world but destroy yourself? What would you give back to get your soul back? Verse 27, the son of man will soon come in the glory of his father and with him bring the angels to reward the people for what they have done. Do you see it right here? Jesus didn't come just once. Jesus is coming again. He's coming back with the heavenly armies to reward those who followed after him. If you don't care about his first arrival, why care about the second? If you love the first, then look forward to the second because Jesus is coming soon. That's in the word of God. He will come back for us one day. See, the sweet narrative of this baby born in a manger, this beautiful story of celebration, angels and lights and shepherds and wise men, all this great stuff is only because we needed a savior. We needed light. We need a deliverer. And just like in Isaiah's time, Isaiah was a prophet for then, but Isaiah's prophecies work for us today. We still need light. We still need a savior and we still need a deliverer. And Jesus is that light. He is that savior and he is that deliverer and he is our soon coming king. That's what Jesus is to us today. Luke chapter two there's a story of a man named Simeon. The Bible talks about a man named Simeon. You've never heard the guy at Christmas time. In case you've not noticed yet, I'm reading all the odd Christmas text. <laughs> On purpose. I'm, I'm, I'm taking you to the story behind the story because for many of us, we've heard this so many times. But I want to lean behind the curtain. I want to go behind the scene. And here we have a look to a man named Simeon. The Bible says he was a devout man. But God had promised him, he was a man full of the spirit of God. God had promised him that he would see the Savior. He would see the Messiah before he dies. Let's go to verse 29 real fast. Luke chapter 2, verse 29. Just pick it up here. Simeon, he takes the baby in his arms and he says, Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all nations. A light for revelation for the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. 
The father's child and mother marveled at what he said about the child. Then Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother. Now listen close on this. This is an amazing text. You've got to get this. He said to Mary, his mother, this child, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel. If this was a spiritual church, right there you guys have said amen. But that's okay. Welcome to Calvary Baptist. It's good to have you this morning. (laughs) This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in all of Israel. There you go. And to be a sign to be spoken against. Do you see this right here? Again, this, I know you're going, we want the warm, fuzzy story. Folks, this is the story. The story is Jesus came to separate light from darkness. If you're in a medical crisis and you have a tumor in your body, do you want a doctor who will just look at you and go, it's a happy day? Or are you going to say, Doc, cut this thing out of me so I can live one more day? Cut the sin out, Savior. Cut the bonds out, Deliverer. Heal us, Jehovah Jireh, our provider with a healing miracle. Jehovah Rapha, heal us today. Provide healing for us. That's what we need right now. We don't need a fuzzy Jesus. We need a mighty Jesus who can deliver us out of the darkness in this life. That's what we need. A new light is dawned. Not everybody likes a new light, though. See, if you look at this, Simeon nails it. He says, this child will cause the rise and fall of many. Hear me today. You need to figure out which side of the Messiah you're on. Which side? Are you on the Isaiah side? Are you on the Herod side? Are you on the side that says, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father? Now hear me, before you acknowledge that, remember this. If you're looking for a counselor, that means you got to listen to him. Has anybody here ever given someone counsel and they totally ignored you? And you thought to yourself, why'd you ask me in the first place? You wasted my time. You know, as a pastor, I get the joy of doing lots of counseling. But after 25 years of doing that, I have learned that most people want to just talk, not actually listen to you. If you want the deliverer, then why keep walking in bondage every day? You want a savior? Then get out of your sin. See, Jesus came to bring in this clear dividing line between light and darkness. You want the Prince of Peace? Let him cut away what's causing all the conflict in your life. Let him cut away like a masterful surgeon. Let him go in with a knife and separate the good and the bad, the healthy from the unhealthy, the the sick from the strong. Let him come into your life even today. See, the decision to pick Jesus as your Messiah is a daily decision. Look at this in Luke chapter 9. If you want to follow me, you must give up your way. Take up your cross daily. Not once a week, not once a year, but daily. At this present moment, the kingdoms of men 
are postured against the kingdom of God. It's happening right now. And if you've not seen that, if you can't see how that's happening right today, then you're already on the wrong side and in the wrong kingdom. Isaiah was simple. Stop sinning. Start obeying. And if you've been faithful, don't give up. The king is coming soon. That's what he's saying. As believers in Christ, when we see darkness around us, don't just look for the rapture. Don't forget you have a responsibility to be light in a dark world. We're called to shine the light of Christ. Jesus came into darkness. He took on darkness. Why? So that we could walk in the light as he is in that same light. Father, I thank you today for your word. It transforms our hearts and lives. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Come to your feet. Let's worship God across this house right now.
about that text we just read, I think about the song we just sang, and we're really inviting in God's kingdom of light into a dark world, into a darkness in our own life. Every one of us here deal with darkness, our past, our present. Don't be discouraged. Don't be ashamed. Jesus is still the light for you today. You can call upon the light when you face darkness on a Tuesday. You're never too good to call for light. You're never too good to say, Jesus, I need help today. But maybe right now you're watching this service online or you're here in person, you would say, Marty, I've been living in the wrong kingdom. I need to stop living in the dark. Ignorant, indifferent, sinful. I'm not attacking you. I'm giving you an invitation to change your life right now. I'm not confronting you. I'm coming to you with the word of God to simply say Jesus came to be light in the darkness. All the world today, all the issues, all the brokenness, this wasn't God's plan. God had a different plan, but sin did this to us. Why continue in the dark when we have the light of Christ? So maybe right now you're watching the service online or you're in person and say, I need to give my heart to Jesus today. I need to change my life. I need to live a different life. I want to pray with you. I want to remind you that Jesus came just for you as he came for me. And just like you, at a point in my life, I had to give my life to Christ. I had to let him be my Lord and my Savior. So today in this house, if you're watching this online or in person, you would say, Marty, today I want to give my heart to Jesus. I want to live in the light. I no longer want to walk in the darkness. I'm going to have you real fast just so I can pray for you right in your seat right there. Just put a hand up high. Just anybody here, you say, Marty, I want to give my heart to Christ today. I want to live in the light. Hand up high real fast. Thank you very much. Just put it up real fast. Put it up, put it down. Thank you very much. Anybody else? Anybody else? Real fast. Thank you very much. Anybody else? Just real fast. Thank you very much. Anybody else? There's four. Anybody else? Just real fast. Anybody else? There's five. Anybody else today? Anybody else? There's six. Thank God. Anybody else? Just say, I want to give my heart to Christ today. I want to live in the light. I see six so far. I may have missed you, but that's okay. God saw you today. If you're online today, I cannot see you, but God can see you. And I would just tell you, even online, put your hand up and say, I want to walk in the light today. I'm going to pray with you right now, a very simple prayer of faith. And I believe Jesus is going to make all the difference in your life right now. Are you ready to pray, church? Say yes. Repeat. Come on, say, Father God, I thank you for sending Jesus to be my Savior. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. I confess today that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And today I announce you as the risen Son of God, my Savior and my Lord. In your name I pray, amen. Come on, big hand for saving grace today. If you prayed that prayer today, text the number on the screen right now. We want to connect with you, partner with you, get you the right resource to follow Jesus. We want to help you be part of a family and take the next steps that God has for your life. God has a big plan for you. I want to pray for everybody else a prayer as well. Is that okay? I want to pray that God will stir you up in your spirit 
to no longer be content to live in the darkness. We are so, so comfortable living in a dark world today. I'm going to call it some righteous and holy indignation to where you're not content to see evil prevail. You're not content to see darkness prevail. You have an urging on the inside that says, that's not what God's word says, and I'm not okay with that. It's just that simple. Can I pray for you today? Father, I thank you for your church, your body, this family, Calvary Church, those online today. And God, I pray right now by your spirit, God, that you will stir up in each person here today, watching online or in this house, a sense of righteous and holy indignation for the sin on the earth today. The sin in our own life begin to work in us first, and then the sin around us every day. And I pray by faith that by your spirit, you'll stir them up. And I give you thanks for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Give God praise this morning. I'm going to bless you guys, get you out of here before I do that. Come back tonight. The laser show is going to be awesome. It's a different approach this year because life is now distant, so you can stay in your car the entire time. We're going to share the gospel in the front of the church. How cool is that? So don't miss it. Come out tonight. Get here early. Stay as long as you need to. Um, And it's going to be a fun time uh, watching the lasers run across the front of Calvary Church. we got a massive screen out there. You know that, don't you? Those walls are huge. So we're going to share the gospel with all the folks driving down 59 Highway. I think it's going to be fun. So come out tonight. I think it starts at 6 o'clock. That's right. I'll be here. So come on out. It's going to be a great time. Stay in your car. Behave yourself. All right. Hand up high. May the Lord bless and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May his love surround you. May his grace flow through you. And may you walk every day in the light. God bless you. I love you. I'll see you back here soon. Been a great crowd. If you're in the house, take your seat.